This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we discuss what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. This is yours truly, Cherry Agarwal, and we are back after two weeks. The excuse being elections. With four phases of the seven-part election done, we hope to be more regular and we hope that Ayush turns up for the podcast. To make up for last week, we have a very special guest with us, senior correspondent with The Quint, Eshwarya Ayar. Hi, Eshwarya. Hi. Welcome to Reporters. Thank you. Eshwarya is back recently from Rajasthan, where 13 parliamentary constituencies went to polls in the fourth phase and there were about 115 candidates in the fray. But before I ask Eshwarya to give us a little bit more insights, I will ask the rest of the panel to introduce themselves. The reason being Ayush and Gaurav are often having problems with the way I introduce them. So Gaurav, go ahead. For the record, I didn't have an issue at all. (laughs) I don't want to get in the middle of Rahul Anjali in life like this, but uh, I'm Gaurav and I'm desk writer for News Laundry. Hi, I am Ayush. I'm a correspondent and I'm just back after a long... Why not a correspondent? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> back so from a long biryani break in Bhopal. Okay, wait. Ishwarya, you were just fact-checking Ayush. Yes, I was. Uh, I No, I, I feel really <laughs> horrible. Don't do that. No, it's okay, Ayush. You can clear the air on it. Yeah, so Ayush is our correspondent, our pseudo-correspondent, who was recently in Bhopal, Madhya Pradesh, and he was tracking, or can I say, should I say, uh, following, lurking around Sadhvi Pragya and trying to get an interview. So before we go to Rajasthan, let's go to what Ayush was doing in Bhopal for about a week. Ayush, what were you up to? So, uh, well, I ventured to Bhopal thinking that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll hang around with the social media cell of the election commission. Ooh, how's that? Because it's so it's pretty good. So this is the very first election when social media is playing a very uh, you know it's become a territory where the election commission is to actively monitor and be vigilant about because of course knowing the kind of false information that that is being peddled and usually being peddled since the last couple of years. So it was interesting to see how they function because even though the political parties have been have gotten good at this because they've got practice. BJP started their IT cell back in 2013. Congress also three, four years ago. But the election commission has fresh faces and that's a new skill to monitor social media to find things that are wrong. So it was to look at what their operation, how they operate, what are their mechanisms, who are the people, how are they selected, what are their stories, and to sort of bring out the human factor from this cell that is actually doing a great service. Uh, most of the things that we know about, all the wrongdoing that we've known about has been, I mean, especially Sadhvi Pragya's comments, you know, she went, what she said about Heman Karkare, that was first flagged at the social media cell in the Madhya Pradesh Election Commission. Okay, wait, let me button right there. You went there as a journalist and you've come back as a fan. I haven't come back as a fan. I've come back as someone who's been surprised by their dynamism and efficiency. But you, had, but you had, sorry, go on. No, no, go But you it. had one story before you left. No, I had two. The second one was... But the, you came back with? I came back with three stories. Gotcha. Why are these guys not seeing the stories yet? They'll see it soon. Good things take time. The gestation period and everything. But the second story was the, actually, so in Bhopal, especially, actually, the rest of Madhya Pradesh, paid news is quite a phenomenon. 
unlike delhi where there is just a you know element of how how would you say uh, pro quid pro quo between the journalists and the politicians in um, in bhopal in madhya pradesh you can say they're mostly the two sides which are actually natural enemies are in bed together so to find out how that works to get the internal you know picture of how paid news operates in smaller cities in the regional press here i do want to say dear readers if you want us to send out reporters like ayush you will have to pay to keep news free do remember to subscribe to news laundry or any other independent news organization of your choice and listeners if you're listening to this podcast on any other platforms like itunes stitcher or now even spotify don't forget to head over to our website newslaundry.com to check out other cool stuff we do like videos interviews and now an election project under our nl sena Let's take a little break from Bhopal and let's go to Ashwarya who's covering who was in Rajasthan to cover the fourth phase of elections. Ashwarya let's just kick off with how hot was Rajasthan? <laughs> I was there for about 9 days and it was incredibly hot. Jodhpur was very very hot. I mean there were times where I was interviewing people and I had to take a break. I had to take a break because I mean you can have 20 liters of water a day and eat but that sun is just something else and have a dupatta over your head but the sun is something else. So yeah uh, there were times that I had to stop uh, working uh, so I could take a break. It was incredibly hot and I ended up having bajri ki roti because they felt like and that was a bad idea because it's heavy food and it makes you feel warm. So I was in bed I was in somebody's house for half an hour two coolers yahan se cooler aa raha tha wahan se cooler aa raha tha but they were incredibly sweet and one more really interesting thing was that so we have an iPhone to shoot and uh, like for the first time ever the iphone there was like a thermometer and it said it's too hot you cannot shoot anymore please cool down and i was like what so i was looking for a fridge in the village <laughs> uh, and i went and put, put it in somebody's freezer in? yeah in a freezer and i was shooting on my phone of course but uh, that was really interesting but it's this hasn't this hasn't happened before no never i've been to rajasthan for the state elections but i went during uh, a better better time and i didn't go to jodhpur side it happened to both of us when noida went to elections oh, yeah noida yeah. mein ho gaya matlab same thing exactly yeah. like, just That's because sad. of the heat they just didn't have to go to rajasthan they decided that the phone Are has to be yahan ki garmi mein ho gayi hai to rajasthan <laughs> mein to obviously no but that was really something it was really that's a lot about the quality of equipment at quinton at news laundry <laughs> switch to android <laughs> yeah switch to android yeah they don't listen <laughs> okay then but uh, gorov can you tell us what you'll be talking about later in the podcast uh well i'll be talking mostly about the utsav bain's affidavit and uh, just particularly we'll be focusing in on the first day of the hearing because that's where most of the courtroom drama happened and uh, actually to read the entire piece you all can go to our website and you know check out my piece there to what exactly happened in these three sealed envelopes that were given at three different times of the day to the bench so i guess to find that out you all have to listen to the entire podcast and oh, you might pricey. just want to give them a little bit of context of who utsav bains is what okay. is with the assumed I mean, knowledge on, man, like people don't live under a rock but uh, okay so utsav bains is the one who claims he's a he's, an, he's a supreme court lawyer who claims that the chief justice of india uh, ranjan gogoi is being framed in a sexual harassment case but the uncanny and funny part about it is that his claim comes just one day after the allegations were leveled against him so i guess that's where it's a little fishy and then it just seems to have blown out of proportion day after day and currently there are two separate cases being heard uh, one is where the affidavit itself is being investigated bains's claims are being investigated and the others about the sexual harassment case in itself which is being heard by another bench bobdi right 
Okay, so as the panel has told you already, we'll be talking about elections in Rajasthan. Ayush will be giving us a lot of insights from Bhopal because he's yet to file a story that we can read and get those insights. We'll be hearing from Gaurav about the how the hearing in the Supreme Court happened, occurred in the Uts- advocate Utsav Bain's case. We'll also be hearing a lot about the Indian Army saying that they have found footprints of Yeti. We'll also be talking about Game of Thrones, which God of Things was underreported, and a UN report on climate change, which Eshwarya is telling me is probably our ultimatum to do something to save this world. So since we missed out on the last podcast because of elections, because Ayush, you weren't here. Ayush, why don't you get us started? And I mean, you were there for about five days. Am I right? Four. Four days. How much biryani did you eat? I had, well, half a dozen times would be, to put it mildly. <laughs> no, actually I had it for three, at least three times. And what was it like? Nah. <laughs> but you said it was different, right? The biryani. It was different. It's actually because that's the beauty of biryani. You, mm. you just like, you know, there's this fact that in India, when you travel every 15 kilometers, the dialect changes. I think it's true for biryani as Even well. Even veg biryani. There's no such thing as veg biryani. Oh, Jerry. whatever. <laughs> there is veg biryani. If you want to eat it, you'll find it. Okay. But let's go back to Bhopal. Ayush has just come to now, okay. There's a, ye- there's a veg biryani and there's a yeti. Two things that <laughs> people claim to exist. Anyway, go on. Very nice. Uh, are you saying that, uh, just like you're claiming that veg biryani doesn't exist, you're saying the Indian army, what the Indian army is claiming is also false? Actually, it is. And How can you see that? Um, Anti-national. Well, <laughs> it just is. But let's talk about the yeti. What did you think, Aurav? Uh In one line, I just think it's a bear. It's a bear. Yeah. But why would a bear walk like that? I, I think that it's a prank, to be very honest. I think the Indian army is pranking the electorate yeah. during election time. I, it's okay, just to give some context, yesterday on April 29, the additional Directorate General of Public of the Indian army dropped quite a bombshell on Twitter, right? They put out pictures of what they claim to be footprints of Yeti, a legendary abominable snowman whose alleged sightings have enthralled trekkers, as Ayush puts it. And they tweeted that cited mysterious footprints of the mythical beast Yeti measuring 32 by 15 inches. Right, Ayush? Yeah, and which is quite huge, actually. So, and the odd thing about that picture they've put out is that it's just one foot. <laughs> Maybe the, the guy Yeti. was hopping or catwalk. Yeah, or catwalking. I mean, the, there has to be something in the Yeti universe, which is very uh, interesting for them to just hop around mountains, mm. especially close to humans. But um, the, what the choice that you were reading from I've quoted this paper from the Royal Society mm-hmm. and it, that that has put a list out of every time there have been allegations or actually reports of sightings of a Bigfoot or a Yeti Bigfoot is like the m- mainland cousin of a Yeti it's brown and big but a humanoid It's they've shown that when they sample it it turns out to be something so it's either a bear or a deer mm-hmm. so I think it's the case, but if you were to, if you appreciate the the history of the Yeti sighting, especially in the Himalayas, it's, it has a wonderful history. It goes back to at least 1832 when, you know, this British resident in the court of Nepal, he first saw it. And then the people who've dedicated their lives in the Himalayas, searching and wandering, mm-hmm. looking for a Yeti. And 
Okay, it's so a tradition almost. Let me put it in context of the podcast, right? This hashtag Yeti has been trending since morning, actually since last night. So, given that it's a media podcast, do you think it should this the amount of attention that Yeti has gotten? It should have gotten as much attention, and this is to both Gaurav and Ishwarya as well. Yeah, it definitely deserves attention. I mean, media shouldn't just be about oh my god, the chief justice is he going around harassing women or who's winning the elections or wow, it's, it I should can't. be about sightings of animals. It should be exotic. So for the interest of making things life interesting. I can't <laughs> believe the comparison you've made, <laughs> and I can't express my horror at your comparison. I think, Gaurav, the, I, think the, think? I think the listeners who always uh, never forget to point out the sense of humor required to, you know, judge, measure these statements you know, will appreciate. I, I sort of guessed that uh, sense of humor would come up, but and Cherry, like this is something probably that I have to do. But this was something Cherry sent me uh, today in the morning. It was a post that reads: uh, "Excessive joking can be a real neurological disease. <laughs> a person who sustains damage to the right hemisphere of the brain can develop a." quote unquote joke addiction and experience a compulsive need to make jokes guess guess what she sent it to me too <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah. Yeah. no no it, it fits it fits very very correct anyway ha but about the yeti so the the actually the first memory that i have of a yeti or a snowman was something that my dad told me when i was a kid and uh, i just pictured like bigfoot like a snow clad figure but this time around uh, reports of the yeti are surfacing after nearly 30 35 years yeah and uh, they are humanoid footprints unless you see like the number of toes so the number of toes are anywhere between 3 and 4 if you see on most mm. footprints so you can claim that maybe it's a humanoid figure but then again just remember that bears also don't have five toes right they have three of they have four if i'm not wrong yeah yeah Shwarya. I mean, I'm glad that these guys have such specific knowledge about yetis and everything. But but neither of them answered my question. Yeah, which was they didn't. Which is which is another way of answering the question that they took a lot of interest in it and they feel like it's worth their time. But no, I feel like I think we're in election season and it's a peak of the elections and every day some politician or the other is. Uh, so it's okay. It's definitely important to do a story on it. And of course, like I think since we all are digital media. like we rely on twitter and facebook so much for our stories to do well so you have to cuz you want the numbers as well so yeah do it but then um, don't do so many spin off stories on it or whatever do a couple of memes and then let it be by the It's way a- by the way according to an ndtv report and they've quoted some army sources this thing let is quite serious let me clarify unnamed army sources yes, yeah go on. and they've named some unnamed army sources which uh, rather hint if not establish that this can be something that can be there's a smoking gun definitely but it might turn out to be something interesting but we shouldn't dismiss it the, what do you mean by smoking gun i mean look the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence i think so since your question in 2019 we find a yeti that'll be cool yeah i mean since your question was do you think it was over reported or under reported if we had seen a ufo also you know it would have been equally reported i mean it it is a mythical thing right the army themselves said that mythical yeti creature spotted Sighted. This is mysterious, not. I think. No, mysterious yeti creature. No, it's a Myth- mythical creature. Mythical, 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 mythical. It's mythical. mythical. Yeah. Okay. So if it's mythical, it's bound to make headlines. And no, I mean, I think Ashwarya pointed out a very important point that the online media depends a lot on clicks and it depends a lot on uh, platforms like Twitter and Facebook to get those clicks. 
and clicks when clicks are driving news reports and if they drive what is the news cycle then it becomes very problematic however important spotting a yeti might be absolutely and a case in point is this ongoing delegation in paris which is discussing this un report which is saying that experts all over the world are saying that the that the window we have to do something about to tackle climate change is really really reducing and i don't know how many governments are or people are reading about this so i think at some time at some point you also have the responsibility to ensure that these stories also get clicks so it, it comes really hard because environment as a subject is not something we understand is depreciating on a daily basis but it is important that you find different formats different ways and digital allows you to do that so at the same time if you can talk so much about yeti i think spending 20 minutes on in a you know having a huddle and saying how can we do 10 mm-hmm. memes on this put this throw this on social put it out on social media push it here and there everyone tweeted out it's important i think that's important too i mean particularly when we come to climate change this climate change and environment even though there is so much being pushed under the carpet there's very little talk about how urgent and important this issue is yeah and i think we're heading uh, i mean water i feel is going to be it's already an issue i mean i've done a number of reports in and around delhi in unauthorized colonies where people are killing each other over water from tanks so the next war is going to be about water without drinking water nothing nothing is going to survive so it'll be nice to talk about that rather than being like yay okay yeti really exists <laughs> i think yay in the environment is getting better would be a nicer thing to celebrate I but, do hope a yeti exists by the way. Okay, Why but not? speaking yeah. about water issues, uh you were in Rajasthan, it is from what I understand an electoral issue or it is now water scarcity is now becoming an electoral issue. What are the other things that you saw on the ground? Yeah, so we'll we'll look at Western Rajasthan and uh, so we spent a couple of days in Jodhpur uh, and the villages around it also in Barmer, bordering Barmer and um yeah, one big problem there is water, scarcity of water for the farmers. And when it comes to the farmers, there are two important schemes that they're looking at all the time. One is the Pradhan Mantri Fasal Bima Yojana, which is a flagship insurance scheme Narendra Modi government January 2016 take premium every season Rabi Kharif. So all of them have passbooks showing that so much so much money is being cut, but 80% of it 40% state and 40% central government has to pitch in uh now i spoke to this guy in balisar district of jodhpur who is responsible to he's the guy who who's like a commissioner for the four nationalized banks in the area and his job is to get the 250 crores that no 700 crores that 25 farmers in that district have taken as loans back to the bank because they cannot lend anymore so he knows how the insides of the bank work very very interesting man very interesting details but what he told me was that every year these nationalized banks uco bank corporation bank etc are getting about 3 to 4 crores in terms of premium for these farmers but not one farmer has got you know the akal akal is drought or you know like if hail storm happens or whatever this is when you can use your insurance money and they haven't got it and i interviewed the minister of state gajendra singh shikhawat and he blatantly denied it too vehemently denied that vehemently denied it too but when you went and spoke to the farmers there was literally not one farmer like i went from one village to another village looking for a sarpanch to tell me ki isko mila hai and they'd be like nahi ho raha hai nahi ho raha hai and you can tell that there's a bjp bend over there when they are trying to hide the details but the reality is that they haven't got the money or when it comes to and this to, is true of the current government and the previous government no the pradhan mantri fasal bima yojana is a yojana is a central government scheme oh, correct so this is entirely prime minister modi's responsibility it's his baby then it comes to ashok gehlot and one of the reasons he came to power now if you see the constitution 
constituencies in Rajasthan. The uh, Congress went was only voted in about 12% of them in the 2013 state elections and went up to being voted in more than 50% of them in the 2018 state elections. The BJP lost out. They went down to about 20% of the rural constituency. So you can see that there is a disgruntlement which helped the Congress come to power in rural constituency. Rural distress was a major issue when it came to the 2018 elections. But now when you talk to them, Ashok Gehlo... So we are talking about disgruntlement against a party or Vasundhra Raji? So when it comes to the Pradhan Mantri Fasal Bhima Yojana, it's Modi. And when it comes to Ashok Gehlo, which is the state government, like one of the planks he came to power on was saying that he will abolish... Uh, he'll waive farmer loans hmm. and he's only done that for cooperative banks and only 10% of farmers go to cooperative banks it's much easier to get loans in nationalized banks cooperative banks you have to get the razamandi of each and every family member and all of that so they like to not go there it's faster in nationalized banks so all of these like there was this guy who told me in Jaipur in Sanganer in Jaipur and he said I told HDFC bank to phone and he said why are are their premiums? Yeah, it depends on your crop and it depends on your acreage. So the the but it will go up to about two thousand five hundred bucks. Are the farmers able to 200? afford even that? You know, lots of times, like I met this farmer who didn't even know that his money was being cut. So I actually called the sarpanch to say, "Aapne unko bataya kyun nahi?" And then we saw his passbook, and then it says, "Pradhan Mantri Fasal Bima Yojana Rabi and Kharif." And he was like, "Oh." So I spent an hour telling him what I had to tell him, and then I interviewed him on the basis of the knowledge that he accumulated through me, which is really dangerous. So yeah. And I think so, uh, this. This Yojana you're talking about is just not in Rajasthan. It's all over because India. Because they've actually made it voluntary. Mm-hmm. So that in this, this in this BJP manifesto, yeah, okay. which is an admission to a certain extent, as Yogendra Yadav says, that the state right. governments do not have the exactly. money to, or even the center doesn't have the, I mean, they were the one who formed mm-hmm. the policy, right? 40%, right. 40% is them. Right. So they, of course, faltered in coming up with the policy in the first place. That's why they've made it voluntary. You asked him yeah. this also and he denied it, but right? Yeah, in, he completely denied it. And who, who has a KCC, whoever's taken on, on Kisan credit card, loans everyone has a KCC their premium gets cut automatically it's voluntary now and farmers want the insurance they're just not getting it the reason why I was asking you these questions was I wanted to point it out to our listeners how problematic the situation is for the farmers right they are paying the money but they're not getting the insurance and given that farming is not I mean, there's an agrarian crisis. They're not really earning to be able to pay the insurance that they're not getting back. So it's just like a catch-22 for them. And it's leaving them in a very bad mess. But I also want to speak to you about, is there some conflict going on between Sachin Pilot and Ashok Gehlot, given that Sachin Pilot was eyeing the chair of the chief minister? Yeah, he, uh, yeah. The, I mean, there was a small clash also on the day that they had to decide in Chhattisgarh and Rajasthan. But um, the the reality is that now they've sort of come together and uh, they do campaign together and all of that seems fine. Uh, I think uh, I think Sajjan Pilot has also been told to an extent that maybe if something happens at the center, he'd move to the center. But uh, the interesting thing is, if you go to people in the Shikhavati or Mewat region, which is the eastern region of Rajasthan, they're very upset that Sajjan Pilot was not made chief minister. And they're very miffed with the Congress because of that. Again, something you ask Krishna Punya, who's the Jaipur rural Olympian, uh, contesting against Rajavardhan Singh Rathor, and she completely denies it. But yeah, there are people who are like, no, Sachin Pilot should have been the guy, and Ashok Gehlot got it. So 
on that level there's an issue but between the leadership not anymore because now there are bigger battles to fight we'll come back to the bigger battles but let's talk about his counterpart in madhya pradesh ashok gehlot which is kamal nath i mean kamal nath has a history when it comes to and there was a lot of controversy with him being uh, nominated by the congress as the chief minister candidate yeah. so what what did you what was the feel on the ground so well the kamal nath government is actually too young for people or i mean the this that the allegations that are being made that they haven't done anything or they haven't done enough are i mean too premature to say whether they're right or they're wrong but the focus of this whole contest in madhya pradesh is digvijay singh because he's been the chief minister of the state for 10 years between 93 and 2003 and talking on the ground there with people you realize that his name doesn't evoke too many good memories among the people there Why? because so they say they people lost a lot of livelihood especially there were, there were a lot of scams back in the day for there were road ka scam there was an electricity ka scam and this one guy was talking to said ki jab tum gareeb aadmi ka livelihood chinte ho to gareeb aadmi kabhi bhulta nahi hai and that was uh, that was actually it summed it up pretty well because well this will sound very nice when you put it in the grand scale of things talking about employment and employment numbers but that was just a little yeah. nugget but but what has happened is most of see first of all we have to remember that this is a lok sabha election and the state went into a vidhan sabha election just last year so people have the local attention to local issues that phase has passed in the in the assembly polls what we are currently looking at is people having in mind the prime minister's chair and voting on that basis so in madhya pradesh the uniformly what i've observed is that people are not very concerned about digvijay or sadhvi pragya regardless of all the sound she's made through her controversial statements they are looking at prime minister modi they want him back now it so happens that she's the channel through which he'll be coming back to power so my what i could sense is that she'll be becoming the member of parliament from bhopal and that's actually But not surprising at all modi's bandwagon on modi's bandwagon and on the bhartiya janata party's bandwagon the congress last won bhopal in 1985 since then it's been a bjp stronghold ishwari did you find this true in rajasthan as well that yeah, people yeah. are not voting for the candidates but are voting for modi absolutely even in 2014 that's what happened they won all 25 lok sabha seats and they're doing the same now Narendra Modi is very very popular in Rajasthan. They really like him. The women are in love with him. The men want to be like him. It's really odd, especially the Rajput men. The Muslims are petrified of him, but they will not say it out loud, so we'll not be able to report it as much till we take them to a corner and speak to them alone, which is sad. Uh, the Dalits will not talk to a media person at all. Um so oh, wow. yeah, is that It's really experience? bad. It's really bad. Yeah, especially with Dalits because you know like you can tell that they're looking at, you know, oh why why is she talking to her? And like there'll be these upper caste people who'll say aap aaiye aapko chai pilate hain and inke liye pani laiye inke liye seat laiye and I just really want to tell them to really like you know let me talk to whoever I want to talk to. So you have to do that or you have to find are them you, a way. Are you saying that Dalits are petrified uh, also because they see media Dalits people interacting with the upper caste? No. 
I mean, no, I don't think so. I think the media in general always wants to speak to the Mus- the minorities, the Muslims and the Dalits, socially, ec- uh, economically uh, backward people. But I think it's it's that uh, you know because of these lynchings that have happened, a lot of them have happened in Gujarat and Rajasthan. Dalits have been lynched. Uh, you know, when you speak to Muslims about it, you can't speak to them. Like when I tried to speak to Muslims in a village in the Sarpanch area, they did not speak to me. You could tell that they wanted to talk, but they didn't talk. Why do you think that is? Because they're afraid that there will be a fight and they might not handle it or the people might not be able to, people won't be okay with them having a particular point of view and it might get violent or aggressive. They're afraid of the upper caste in the They're area. afraid of reaction. They're uncertain. They're uncertain. Mm-hmm. It's not like something will happen. It's not like they will be beaten up. But social ostracization also works in different ways and it manipulates you. And that's definitely a fear on the ground, which I feel the Hindus are completely oblivious of, which is just really sad. I don't think so that they are oblivious of I think of they are it. indifferent. But the scenario is completely opposite in Bhopal because obviously the numbers in Bhopal, so the constituency has 22 to 25% of Muslim population. And if you have... Which constituency are you talking Bhopal. about? Bhopal. Bhopal. Okay. So, and if you have 20 to 25, then that qualifies you to ex- an extent as an assertive minority. Mm-hmm. And people there, however, the twist in the tale is that the Muslims don't vote in Bhopal at this point of time, don't seem to be voting as a vote bank. They are not collectively voting for a party. And that's simply because when Shivraj Chahan was the chief minister, he had a sort of liberal image. So he would have iftar parties, he would go and meet them. I met Muslims who've been part of the Bharatiya Janata Party for 10 years. And even though they're turned off by those comments on Babri Masjid that Sadhvi makes, they're still going to vote for BJP. So that is one thing that consolidation among the communities absent. So they are not a, a traditional Congress vote bank? They, they are, but in the last 15, 20 years, things have changed. Ashwarya, there was this one part of your interview, I think, where you interviewed all the women. There was a particular festival happening. Uh, Dhinga Gavar. Is that what it's called? It's called Dhinga Gavar, yes. I thought the festival it, was called something with G. Dhinga Gavar, once in a year, all over India, only in Jodhpur. Oh, it's women, all over India? Yeah, all okay. over India, only place it happens is in Jodhpur. And women wear these costumes and they dress up and they paint their faces hmm. and... Uh, yeah, I saw someone out. was dressed like Ravan. There was like Ravan, there was Yamraj, there was uh, this Bhole Baba in Shiv, Shiv Ki Shadi and mm. they were funny people. It but was you know, there was this one part in that which... Yeah. Uh, because you, I don't know if it was done intentionally or not, but you smartly interviewed like the boys also and saw what they were saying and I found it very ironic that these boys say that hum log to chedte, hmm. but hum log un log ko ek din aisa off de allow karte hain haan allow karte hain us time pe to matlab aise khoon aise khol raha tha aur it was very intentionally done because you want to get the i think even like if you're ever doing a story on a muslim feeling uh, hmm. feeling alienated then you talk to the hindu about the impact or hmm. dalits in a particular village and you talk to the upper caste about the impact similarly you talk to the boys over here and yeah they were very uh, i had to be smiling while taking those interviews to make sure that they, hmm. di- they didn't know that i was i hated them but the brashness of it was like it was it was quite retarded if you actually think about it absolutely and, absolutely and then there's this one other older lady who you're talking to who actually says that my husband doesn't want me to have a stylish phone yeah, yeah. but i am happy with the amount of freedom that i am given yeah that was a lot of fun so I had interviewed her before that and she'd spoken very normally and I was like okay and then she was sort of tailing me and saying who are you and whatever so I said give me your phone number when the video comes out I'll send it to you so she said okay phone number lijiye I said internet hai na he, she said no internet ka dusra number hai so I said ek second rukiye Hmm. Why phone not WhatsApp on your phone? And she's like, Wo mere pati. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And she's saying it and she's laughing while saying it. And 
yeah you yeah that's how it is that's so that's how they live this is gender based absolutely a better way of putting it is that a phone in a woman's hand is related to morality and that is how they're living it's 2019 i, I can't believe it and she's cool, cool with it she's cool with it kyunki wo mujhe maike jaane deta hai aur kyunki wo mujhe ghar pe time pe aane ko nahi bolta mera phone mein messages nahi check karta hai aur kya chahiye ladki ko and this is 21st century india but the women in rajasthan really seem to love modi yeah very popular like, proper crush i think they have yeah, in modi i mean yeah. the, the the whole domino starts falling from gujarati women <laughs> i remember a carpetels columns that got very controversial when he said gujarati women find modi very sexy there was a recent print article also no in hindi that uh, please tell me you guys read it no, oh know. my god <laughs> uh, it was about modi only it was about modi so cute it was about how modi is oh my god how we want to have a relationship with modi how so what if he's single and he's not living with her uh, they have gone their separate ways on their own and would you date him you have to read it like it got a lot of slack she didn't name anyone she changed everyone's names this reporter okay i'm sorry man maybe i shouldn't be doing this <laughs> but no definitely but no. Should, this should have been your recommendation the hindi article oh shit i'll do it again okay. i'll recommend it again girls find modi cute okay no but that article was really and you know when i when i interviewed these women and they said i love modi and all i was like my god it's true you know it's true he has a he's seen as someone who will get work done he is that man in the household but aish i do want to speak to you about your experience of attending a sadhvi pragya rally yeah. what were your observations so i had assumed uh, before i left for bhopal seeing the video reports that sadhvi will be you know someone very appealing very charismatic but i was a little disappointed on that front because she is not uh, people of bhopal are not too excited about her and i mean that's no fault of hers but that's because she's a rookie in the political space so in the in the rally of course uh, they started off with this chant saying bhaiyo behno hum bolenge ki sadhvi pragya sant hain aur aap boliye bantadhar ka ant hai bantadhar is their reference to digvijay singh bantadhar means someone who bungles the bangla mm. and they did that and there wasn't much response <laughs> so they eventually fell back on bharat mata ki and everyone was reenergized and <laughs> jay so that happened but when she took the stage and you could tell that she's not politically trained obviously so even though she's a great orator she's been part of the you know abvp and when you're in these organizations you're taught to you know be good at speaking so when she had to talk about the political promises she read out from a paper and that was you know then she had to be a little calm and not wave her hands and fling her arms but the moment she put down the election part the paper goes and then she starts talking the the, tame, the same uh, hindu victimhood line that i've been you know part there have been designs by the congress this is a conspiracy then it came out and then she caught the imagination of people but and there were a lot of women in the rally and uh, they i think identified with him a lot because judged by because i was in the front row and the amount of women who were pushing me to get ahead and get a good look of her was too much and i could tell that she definitely does have does have an appeal among women and Why she's tethered so? that to the election promise which is is she always wearing saffron yeah she's always it's part of her what is her appeal to women and also the second thing given that she's an accused still an accused in the 2008 maligao blast how did the people in the rally or other people whom you met in bhopal react to that or what do they feel about a candidate who's accused in accused of very serious who has very serious allegations against her what do people feel about that well you might not like to hear this but i don't think they'd care too much about the allegations because for them the standard pet excuse or their reason not to belittle them by saying excuse is that well she's been you know 
the court has said that there's not enough evidence against her which is of course now you can't stand and argue with them ki lack of evidence is not you know she's not acquitted yet, right? yeah but their 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 whole idea is that they've been basically convinced by the narrative that the congress was out to get sadhvi and now she's fighting back to end the same people because digvijay singh was you know very a large figure in that administration upa one so it is a very successful course run for political revenge that they see in her and it's coming out like that i don't actually think they care much about whether she was guilty or she was she, or she was I not i think guilty. a lot of them also might not know about the nuances of the case like we are doing this thing called the webcoof quiz which will be out really soon where we ask people on the basis of what are these whatsapp forwards and social media posts so one of the questions is do you think she's been acquitted of all charges and yes of course she was she was acquitted 3 hours ago she was acquitted 4 hours ago so yeah i don't think lots of people even know so of course they did not know the nitigrities of the case that we journalists seem to know but i saw a good attempt by the local press to get this message across i mean there was a dainik bhaskar headline uh, on one of the days on the front page saying acquit nahi hui hai sad sadvi pragya putting oh, out the wow. facts so that was that was a pleasant uh, you know encounter but to be very honest this is a very uh, madhya pradesh we have to remember was the very first you know the earliest shakhas of the rss were established in madhya pradesh the very first seats that the bhartiya jansangh the predecessor of the bjp one was in madhya pradesh there have been Kong- bjp governments for years so hindutva has an entrenchment in the state especially bhopal so people tend to vote along religious lines and as speaking to some experts i met in bhopal and this is you know uh, an organization which is trying to launch campaigns make people aware that they should be voting along local local issues and he told me on my face he said we're having trouble we can't seem to convince them to not vote along religious and ethnic lines and I mean, whatever it says about our democracy, it just says that these things do matter. You, Did you however meet a lot of RSS guys in the rallies and in your interactions? I met some of them at the BJP headquarters. I met a 106-year-old hysterical man who was mumbling something about, actually mum- mumbling a lot of obscenities about all opposition leaders. And he was writing things because he was, I think, a little deaf and he couldn't hear me. So we were talking by writing in his notebook. And it was him and it was other... other party workers or simply staff members at the bjp headquarters and they had i mean if you know the standard hindutva profile of a man they all met that profile and even though I, the most shocking bit is that the muslims come out in the significant numbers to vote for the bjp you can show this uh, you can you can show this by evidence when i told them that they say no muslims tell us lie so they don't actually vote for us if you have to give me the profile of a standard rss man as you put it Can you describe it in five words? Well, <laughs> masculine. A man. Okay. Yeah. I mean, let's say overly masculine, hypermasculine. Okay. Very patronizing towards women. That's two. Third would be somewhere above the age of forty. <laughs> And young people also go to the shakhas. I I actually did not meet any young people like that because the people who occupy the positions of power in the BJP state BJP are not. surprisingly not young they are old i mean that three is definitely there but i have to think about that you know i wanted to ask you you said earlier that uh, the women seem to like hmm. the women seem to really yeah. like her but did you speak to any of the women as to why you know what do you see in her do you like are, are you even aware of what she's done that she's still an accused did the women have anything specific to say like positive about her well in in my interactions what i could gather is that her 
narrative of an innocent woman being uh, you know innocent hindu woman that to being part of this design by a uh, bedharmi government mm. that is what they feel that is what my interaction has been so that line that she's put out and she's tethered that to her election promise by the way so she said when she comes to power she'll make sure all the women who faced injustice and who faced insecurity she'll take care of them so that's that's the line which appeals to the women so since you both were out in the field the other thing that i wanted to ask you guys was like as a male reporter or as a female reporter what were the challenges you guys faced and i mean did you think that there was something that particularly stood out to you because of your gender whoever wants to go first so when uh, so these campaign trails are in villages so they come up with a cute little schedule they go from one place to another and what was a special little schedule yeah which they're always late on and uh, you you know you're following them you're trying to meet them and what was interesting was that in the leaders i won't name them but in their rallies women were not present so it was like in one case they got these women about 30 of them and they passed they they gave them pamphlets and they literally gave them pamphlets this this guy was taking photos and a video one guy was taking photo when while this was happening they put it up on facebook uh, and the women left before the candidate even started speaking so i think what i what i mean my i don't know if it is a gender based concern but i feel what was disconcerting in this in the, in these campaign trails were that women were just not participating women were not a part of public rallies women were not a part of public meetings and that is something i find very odd because i know i mean as a woman it's much easier to just go and talk to whoever the hell you want but uh, it was hard to get them to talk to me to wait to listen number of times when i tried to talk to them these party guys would say go 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 and it would just be like dude like why are you making decisions for them so yeah it was it was pretty frustrating uh, on that account but was as a also- woman No I don't think so I think as long as the 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 guy who's who's speaking his media people know that you are somebody who's come to cover them they sort of push you ahead anyway so you have good access and of course you ask and you make your way through so you get good shots and all of that but um, no as a woman I no I don't think I were the people who did not talk to you because of your gender there was this leader who wasn't making eye contact with me which was really <laughs> frustrating and so I kept looking at him and at who some this I don't want to name him <laughs> um but we can see it in the video it's webhoo <laughs> <laughs> no webhoo gelot was another story uh, he was actually actually i asked krishna punia who's this jaipur rural constituency candidate if she has experienced sexism in politics you know if she has because when she was talking i could see that men would just get up in front of her and sort of talk and this one guy was rambling at the back so and actually somebody from her team told me that in the 2013 elections when she lost in sadulpur constituency she lost because the somebody sort of sabotaged her from within the party so i asked her knowing all of these things seeing the, seeing it but she completely denied it i think she's a politician it's her job oh, so she was sabotaged because that's of that's what gender? he said yeah this is a very trusted aid of hers so i i knew like it was a researched question that way or whatever that I, i knew what i was asking her and i was hoping for an honest answer but you could see people talking over her you could see that you know like in one place i remember before she spoke these guys said kele kele baant dete hain so she had to get up and she was like kele koi nahi baantega kele baantoge to meri meri koi baat nahi sunega because uske pehle the other people the men had spoken so you know like you can see that there is this but she didn't yeah. uh, she didn't acknowledge it but you can see it so i don't know maybe it's because of seniority 
or it's just because of gender that is something that will always remain in the air we can't really pinpoint and say it is because of gender that people were speaking over her no i'm pretty sure it was gender like okay. i mean all the rallies and i've covered a couple of elections never when a candidate is speaking will someone get up and do this this is something that i've never witnessed anywhere it's very odd ayush what were your observations well did personally you i did not I, i did not have to ever think about that uh, along that axis of gender but now that you ask and i think of it and i was i thought this in the morning in the rally at sadhvi's rally uh, they brought saints and sadhvi's on stage after point the saints were accumulated and it was there was a la- there was a lack of space so they asked the saints to go sit in the first rows there was a lot of grumping and all but they eventually did but i was looking through my photos of the stage where they were sitting and you can see all of them are men this sadhvi and the other sadhvis like four or five of them were delegated to a you know the rightmost corner of the stage so i can't even see them in the pictures i've taken and that says something about uh, i mean even though you are there is an impression that being a sadhvi and running as a member of parliament might be something of an empowerment there are insider codings which you can you know look at and say well it's not Hundred percent. Given that this was your first election coverage, did you also put your ninja skills to use? What are my ninja skills? <laughs> Making bad jokes. Nah, no, I don't joke around with Hindu nationalists for one thing. <laughs> okay, but uh, how was your first election coverage experience? Did you uh, were you scared of something that you might get something wrong or you might ask the wrong questions? Was there any fear, any challenges? No, it was never. would i sub- would i do something wrong it would it, this the fear was would i end up not covering something mm-hmm. and now that i've come back and i started writing the report i realized that i have missed out on something which i shouldn't have so that's a good feedback but um yeah that was like anxiety constant anxiety in my mind what if what if i miss this out what if it strikes me later mm-hmm. that's okay that's yeah, i remember you were really stressed when you came back that you didn't even come for the news laundry party that we were having on a friday oh <laughs> yeah he was sitting at home with his shoelaces tied ki kab mujhe editor bole ki main aa sakta hu and i will run and be there actually i hadn't expected the editor to say aa jao i hope all. you up i hope yeah, you up thanks for that yeah thanks he made that. a case for you he lied because of you and you did the oh. next day Yeah. Okay, so that was a lot of election news and I really hope our listeners enjoy that and I really thank you both for sharing your experiences. But now I want to move to the segment where we talk about what did you guys think was overreported and what did you guys think was underreported. I think what was underreported is something we spoke about earlier, the UN uh, UN headed uh, what are negotiate no talks that are discussions that are happening in Paris right now. What has been underreported is this UN headed uh talks and discussions regarding climate change in Paris where about delegations from 140 countries are participating and yeah the window of time to do anything to save the earth is reducing which is really alarming i i think there was barely any reportage on it i think we didn't even pick up wire copies i feel a lot of our publications and secondly uh, what was overreported uh, would be the yeti saga i think social media i think we're all slaves of social media a little bit and uh, taimur khan and uh, going with his mom to <laughs> vote and uh, crying and creating a ruckus over there uh, yeah i think both of these were overreported i mean what really got on my nerves during the entire election season is people especially actors and actresses putting out photos of them voting as like that is not news you are also a citizen and you're voting like everyone else yeah but they have the potential of influencing people who follow them also it's just a bombay thing when used for a good thing is different than just putting out your photo to boost your own social capital more. why not both 
Like I have normal friends who are not celebrities who put up pictures of themselves saying, "Hey, I voted." So and I mean, did a news agency pick pick that up? No, but I mean, you have a celebrity status, yeah. By uh, the way, the election I commission is. We all want to read it. I think there are people who want to see a Varun Dhawan and a. Yeah, and I am getting that feeling. Wonder why Akshay Kumar is not voted because he's a Canadian citizen. That was quite appalling after the interview he did with Modi. Uh, yeah. Ayush, what did you think was underreported? I think uh, Ines put out a wire story in which she, in which it claimed that uh, there were several artists who had signed petitions saying. we should not vote for uh, anti nationals it happened yesterday when when begu sir i especially went to polls because kanaiya kumar is running from there and he has been at the end of that charge of being anti national and it was very eerie and then it turned out that the people they've named who said that they this they shouldn't vote such uh, as namita gokhale vikram sampath ashok chakradhar two of them this chakradhar and namita gokhale said they were didn't sign any such petition and we haven't found any such petition online so what this is is uh, fake news i mean that's the word for it and people should read my ina story to get a more larger picture on what's going wrong at the agency um one thing that i think was underreported was the mumbai archdiocese had a meeting day before yesterday with the police commissioner of bombay after the sri lanka blasts happened and uh, it wasn't really covered in the national media like mumbai papers covered it in their everyday uh, daily coverage but it really wasn't picked up there are so many like questions as to why only the mumbai archdiocese and not like any other archdiocese of the other cities so there has to be some real cause of concern for the archdiocese to call the top authorities of the police and tell them that you know we have to keep uh, we have to keep mount mary on high alert cause that is where like everyone in bombay goes Uh, I think that was something that really should have been covered. If if it was all the other archdioceses, maybe not. But since we are pinpointing Bombay out, uh, I really think the uh, the national media should have picked it up. Also, the other thing I just want to wrap up with one of the biggest stories that we weren't able to talk about because we didn't have a podcast last week was an affidavit sent by a 35-year-old SC staffer to 22 judges of the Supreme Court, leveling allegations of sexual harassment against Chief Justice of India Ranjan Gogoi. So, Gaurav, you were in the Supreme Court tracking one of the offshoots of. this case yeah. is right so could you give us a little bit more context about that so uh, let's just let's just start at right at the beginning on a saturday morning on april 20th where these allegations came forth in in the digital media against the cji so not only did that happen on a weekend morning where like probably courts are not open everyone has access to the internet it it came up and obviously it blew up on on the digital media space but on sunday is when things took a really interesting turn when this harvard bred lawyer utsav bains uh, said that he had been offered about a crore and a half to frame the cgi in the same in the same harassment case uh, by monday he had already put in a sworn affidavit in court he didn't say the same harassment case he said in a sexual harassment case and this was, But he was probably a conspiracy by fixers and lobbyists and given 1.5 crore bribe to do that the 1.5 crore bribe was what he said first then he branched out in his facebook post onto a larger conspiracy that involves fixers who fix sc benches so that they can get favor verbal uh, judgments but uh, and okay maybe on sunday people thought it was a load of trash but by monday he'd already put in his own affidavit into court the court called him in on tuesday and that is when the real courtroom action began on tuesday this was this was also the first case that i've covered at the supreme court and i actually haven't seen any kind of drama like this it was a it was a three judge bench and uh, in the courtroom there was also indira jaising who's actually not a part of the case you know she's she's just there in the court but utsav bain seemed to have a tough time in knowing courtroom decorum in general you are not supposed to talk to anyone else except for addressing your either your own advocate or the judges you can't talk to indira jaising you can't make comments about the ag so there was so just to give you a small brief about what happened in the span of an entire day the court was called to hearing three times all three times bains gave a sealed envelope to the to the judges the first time he gave a sealed envelope the judges said that this is really really disturbing matter 
they went on to call the heads of the IB, the Delhi police and the CIA and the CBI. In the second part of the hearing, which was in the afternoon, Baines said that he wanted to give one more sealed envelope and he goes and he gives that to the judges, which is when the AG KK Venugopal is like, you know, you can't, you can't say that you have evidence and then hold it back saying it's privileged and you can't give it in bits and pieces. Baines went on to say that this man is making personal attacks against me. And at that moment, Justice Nariman seemed to really get fried in a courtroom full of reporters and lawyers and aspiring lawyers because he's trained under Justice, uh, because he's trained under Venugopal back in the day. And he was like, he's the most respectable gentleman in this room. You know, you cannot talk about him like that. Otherwise, I will throw you out of my court. Baines had so the, there was a lot of the drama. audacity to leave. Baines yeah, he had said, the I'm walking out. <laughs> yeah, he had the gall to pretend like he's getting up. And in his calm demeanor, he was like, uh, you know, if it pleases your judge, I might as well leave the court. Yeah. So that's when Justice Mishra had to jump in and be like, dude, chill out, take it easy. You know, you're in a, you're in a Supreme Court, we're hearing you out. Another really, really funny part was, I love, I'm going to cap it. I love the humor in the Supreme Court. I know this wasn't a case that required humor, but Justice Mishra's ability to contain situations with humor is downright cute. So there was this one part where Indira Jaisingh is telling the judges, you know, please don't shut, please don't shut us out from it. We are here to help you all. And the judge and Justice Mishra just looks at her and he's like, uh, have we shut you out, Ms. Jaisingh? So she's like, no. Then the judge is like, can we shut you out, Ms. Jaisingh? So she's like, no. And everyone's so laughing in court. cute, I think that sounds very patronizing. It wasn't really patronizing because Jaisingh was interrupting the proceedings every, every chance that she got or every chance that she didn't get. And uh, she had to make it clear that she's not a part of the case. So why are you doing this there? You know, what are you trying to prove there? So it wasn't really patronizing on those terms. But uh, in fact, the latest update right now on the case is that the uh, is that the complainant uh, whose, whose uh, sexual harassment case is being investigated by a separate three-judge bench, she has opted out of the case saying that she's not really happy with the way the case is proceeding. The the bench that is led by Justice Bobde uh, is not, doesn't seem that she will get justice from that particular bench the way they are progressing with the case. And this is a, this is a breaking news right now so we'll obviously report on it later so just adding to that she has given three reasons actually four reasons why she has uh, withdrawn her consent she actually went for three hearings but she said that the giving the reasons why she's not going to participate anymore she said she has not been allowed to get a lawyer or another person that she'd asked for in the hearing and she's very nervous and she's fearful that she might not get justice. She'd also asked that the hearing, the in-house committee hearing happens, is video recorded or at least the audio is recorded, which was not happening. And she's also not been supplied with a copy of the statement that was recorded during the previous two hearings. I mean, these are serious concerns that the complainant is, hap uh, is having and the three members of the committee are not helping. So, which is why she's so withdrawn. I, so, I guess Jaising's apprehensions that day in court were pretty much true then, you know, that both both of these should, the, the judgment or like the proceedings should not overlap each other because now she's ended up opting out of the no, case. I don't think one can make a correlation between the two at all. That was her only demand. She was also, like, I under do the not Vishaka want... guidelines, you are not allowed as a complainant to have a lawyer in the in the in-house inquiry committee or whatever. And of course, this is not the Vishaka guidelines. The Supreme Court is caught in a mm. completely uh, unique situation. But uh, I think that would be jumping the gun currently because uh, there might be an out-of-court settlement. Uh, there must have been an understanding. There could be a million things that might have happened that we don't know about. But oh, what I wanted to add was, I think Indra Singh was there because she wanted to say, I mean, look at the case, right? If it is proven that... Uh, what Baines was saying is proven to be correct that money was being given for bench fixing which in turn and if it was found true that this false sexual harassment case was false then the, there's no merit to the 
in-house committee actually investigating it anymore. So when the judge says that one will not impact the other, I don't see how that is going to happen. They reiterated that it will not. They, they kept telling her but that it will not. But how will that happen? Because the case that you're hearing is... Uh, I get it. It's pretty paradoxical that way, yeah. So, I mean, I don't see how that wouldn't but impact. The, the but the same, same would apply on the other side as well, right? If Bobde did find that this person was accused of sexual harassment and he was guilty, then again, what would that do to Utsav Bain's thing? It would no, create a big confusion can... about the conspiracy in itself or him being given money was all false. Maybe it will Of course, they're correlated. With... You cannot change that they are correlated. All you can do is hope that the people who are the justices in the case are have the integrity and will uphold the law and read the law in the best way possible. No, but I would like to say that even if, let's say, there is merit found in the sexual harassment allegations, bench fixing is something that has come up again and again and that is something that the court can look, look into but it doesn't happen the other way around you can look into allegations of sexual harassment and then look into bench fixing but if you're looking into bench fixing saying that it's a false sexual mm. harassment allegation then it creates a problem correct but that's a wrap for this episode so guys just give your recommendations before Parikshit kills me and flies away to Boston <laughs> uh, yeah so you know I'd, I'd like to recommend this piece in the Hindu called uh, what the return of ISIS leader Baghdadi means it's written by Stanley Johnny and it's a very informative piece about why has he surfaced you know after so many years after exactly five years and uh, it really brings out the imagery the weird imagery about the last video that had come out and the similar crusader reference that's happening in it so i think you guys should give that a read ayush oh since we talked about sadhvi pragya uh, there's a wonderful paper which tracks the tradition that sadhvi pragya comes from the Hin the women in hindu nationalist brigades uma bharti's uh, sadhvi ridambara so there's a paper in the columbia journal of south asian studies called saffron women a study of the narratives and subjectivities of women in the hindutva brigade that people should read i mean it's not journal a journalistic piece it's very in deep so that's a good uh, that's a good piece to go to ishwarya I think uh, since we, I mean, there's only so much we can talk about Rajasthan. If you want re really decent, legit coverage of Rajasthan in general as well, uh, look up this journalist called Radhika Bordia. She's on Twitter as well. She's She writes very well. She's very mature, writing very nuanced. She's from the region as well. Uh, so her writing will give you an understanding of the region that maybe younger reporters will not be able to. Since we were talking a lot about elections, I have two really important election stories that I want to recommend. This is an issue I really wanted to discuss, but in the interest of time, I'm just recommending it. One is a piece by Rachna Khera on HuffPost. It's headlined Elections 2019, Systemic Pattern of Missing Voters Worries the Experts. I mean, we talk about caste issues, we talk about religion, we talk about water scarcity and other issues and PM Kisan. But I mean, a lot of people are not finding their names in election lists. Their, their names are just missing. So th that is one very important story that came out. Another important story was done by Shoheb Daniel from Scroll. The headline is Model Code. Collectors being asked to send PMO local information ahead of Modi's visits. Email shows. So this is proof-based story that you definitely must check out. And while you're at it, do remember to subscribe to News Laundry because to be able to send reporters like Ayush to Bhopal for five days, it takes a lot of money. And it also means that we are missing a reporter in the newsroom. And given that we are a slim team, we do need more resources and more people. And if you have any other feedback for us, if you want to critique us, if you want to send us comments, or if you just want to tell us what you liked, what you disliked, you can tweet to any of us. You can DM Gaurav and I because Ayush doesn't want to be DM'd. Or you 
can just write to us at contact at newslaundry.com or to me at cherry at newslaundry.com. Also, do remember to pay to keep news free, independent and azad. Happy subscribing! This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Reporters Without Orders